Uh, hello, uh, my name is Lorenzo Van Ness, and I will be having a conversation with uh, Santos uh, for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. Uh, this is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. Uh, it's July 1st, 2017, and this is being recorded at Lorenzo's house. Great. So, what is your name and your pronoun? Uh, my name and pronoun, my name is Santos. Uh, my pronoun is he, him. Great. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, where were you born, all the things. Okay, well, um, let's see. I am a musician, and I work as a sex educator. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um... I'm currently 37 years old. I was born in 1980, um, and let's see. I I guess uh, I guess to start, I was born. Um, I'm I'm Latin, obviously, um, mostly Venezuelan heritage, and um, my parents moved here in like the 70s or so, and um, you know I I grew up in like a Latin and also a very strict um, religious household. Uh, what, did, do you have any siblings or anything? Oh yeah, I have, um, I'm the youngest of three. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And you were born here in Brooklyn? I was born here in Brooklyn, yeah. Great. So what was it like, uh, what, what is your earliest memory? Oh, wow. Well, yeah. One of my earliest memories is um, looking out the window of my second floor apartment in East New York and kind of like running over to my dad while he was eating and like asking for a piece of something. So, yeah. Food. Food, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Food and, and looking out at things longingly. <laughs> um, so, uh, I guess, what was it like to live in New York or in Brooklyn in like the 80s? It was, it was, it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty intense. Um, like Brooklyn was very different and I, I feel like I say that a lot to a lot of my friends, um, but like, yeah, it was very, very, very different, especially East New York. Um, like, I joke about it, but it's true, like, I learned the difference between a gunshot and a firecracker really early, and I'm sure you did too, um, and like, you know, it was, it was the 80s, so there was crack, right? So, um, yeah, there were, there were shootouts, and, um, like, in... In uh, elementary school, um, we would like go in the in the yard and like look down, and there'd be all these crack vials everywhere. And we knew that we shouldn't touch them, but what we did was we would like kick them around with our feet and like make a game of like organizing them by size and color. <laughs> so, I mean, it, yeah, it's funny and it's also strange, you yeah, know. Yeah, so sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, and like, um, you know, like. It was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of desperation, there was a lot of, um, you know, like, folks who were on drugs would come up to you, even if you were little, and, like, ask for stuff, mm -hmm. demand stuff, so, um, you know, it's kind of a thing, like, I think about how different the city is now, for better or worse, mm -hmm. but that's kind of not so prevalent, yeah. um, and I also, like, think about, for better or worse, like, sort of the look of the city now like one of the things that I think about as like my impression of East New York as a kid is like cracked sidewalks and abandoned lots mm -hmm. and like you know now there's no abandoned lots around because every square inch is you know money that can be generated instead of money wasted back then and like the cracked sidewalks kind of is very like it's very rare that you look around in one of in any like New York City neighborhood and you see like cracked sidewalks to the point that there's like grass growing out of them, etc. Yeah. So. Yeah. And um what was your family like? What was it like to grow up with your two siblings and your parents? And oh, yeah. Sort of yeah, um I mean we had a small apartment. It was uh like a three bedroom. Oh, cool. Um mm -hmm. and uh depending on how many people were there because some like one of my cousins uh, moved up to go to Columbia. Um, so university? Yeah, university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, distinction. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, so he had one of the bedrooms, and then when I was when he was living with us when I was super little, mm-hmm. and me and my two sisters were in the like one of the bedrooms, all like kind of bucking together. And obviously, my my parents were cohabitating in the master bedroom. But then, um, yeah, it was it was a lot. Like I, I it was also very nice. Um, like I felt. I had a dad who was, like, very supportive, um, my mom was really strict, and, um, you know, at the very least, like, we felt like a cohesive unit, um, you know, there was, there were certain things that were kind of, kind of intense, like, like, the strictness, and, and, um, like, you know, like, the emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. um, that comes from, um, having parents who were abused themselves. Um, So I didn't really come into my emotions until I was really older. Um, But uh, I will say that it it was, you know, I had no idea that we were poor, Mm. you know? And I I felt like like well supported and well provided for, at least in my scope of things. What were you like as a kid? What was I like as a kid? Yeah, what was little Santos like? I was, um, I was a big nerd. Um, I was really big. Was. No, I'm <laughs> no, no, I mean, I still am. <laughs> I, I was, I really, really, really wanted to be a good kid. Mm-hmm. So I was like, um, you know, I was like the first to fold my hands. I was the first to like sit up straight and like, I really wanted like commendation cards and stuff that the teachers gave, gave out. Um, yeah, and I was also like lazy about schoolwork which I'm lazy about everything still, um, but it's fine. Um, and, um, yeah, what was I like? I guess, uh, I, I, I was, I mean, I was a tomboy too, which was a big thing for me. Like, um, and I sort of forget that now because like, I'm a dude, (laughs) but like being a kid, it was kind of, it was a big deal, you know, because and and um, being a Jehovah's Witness, like mm-hmm. there were meetings three times a week, um, and sometimes like even going out preaching, like after or within that, right, um, or whatever. Uh, so I was in a dress a lot of the time, and I was like, "This is fine, I guess. I don't like it." Like I wasn't really, I wasn't really um, in touch with why it felt uncomfortable. It felt like really formal and the formality felt embarrassing. Um, the gender stuff was like vaguely uncomfortable, but I didn't have much of a concept of my own like gender. I knew that, I knew that um, there were trans people. That wasn't a question. Oh. Um, I mean, one of the things about growing up here is what at least then was like all the trash TV mm-hmm. so like do you, I don't know if you remember the Richard Bay show Richard the Richard Bay show was like a really 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 trashy TV show it was like it was like kind of the predecessor to oh who's that guy that, Springer Springer exactly yeah. it was like the pre- <laughs> predecessor to Springer so it was just this really slimy guy in this stage set up in like Secaucus New Jersey and he had people over who were, like, you know, would be perceived as, like, weird or trashy, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, there were trans people on his show, because oh, cool. that's weird or trashy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I was just, like, fascinated and afraid, mm-hmm. um, you know? And there was a show called The Current Affair, which was also, like... That was Maury Povich. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Maury. <laughs> yeah, Maury. And it was a it was a magazine show. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that stuck in my mind was like this um, this expose on a gym that was only trans people supposedly. Huh. Um, and it was like you know video footage of people working out, right? And some people like people like had these different presentations. And it was like, oh my god, look at these, like, you know, I don't want to even finish that sentence. But yeah. Yeah, so, like, it was kind of, like, shocking. And I had this, like, fear of, like, if you don't figure out, like, your femininity, you're going to end up like that. Mm. Um, 
And and I I would watch and record um, documentaries. There's this HBO documentary that I wish I could watch now called What Sex Am I? Huh. And one of the one of the main things one of like the the common threads mm-hmm. to like the trans narrative was that it was like it was very binary, right? And it was also very like life or death, like literally. Like the the stories that I heard at least on TV were like I'm going to I'm at, I'm at a point where I need to kill myself or transition. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's not me. You know, they always knew that they were whatever gender they really were and, you know, they fought and they blah, 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 all this, like, really definite early childhood stuff, too. And I was like, well, that's not me. I just like boys' toys and not wearing dresses and forgetting that I'm a girl and all this stuff. That's very trans, but that wasn't so severe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was I was definitely like in conflict with my gender, and I was definitely like wanting to be good and wanting to like follow all the rules. And so like part of that was um, being okay with being feminized or trying to be okay with being feminized, um, you know. And also like my context was wasn't really. Um, uh, like, I feel like the kids at school and all that other stuff um, weren't, like, they weren't okay with different gender presentations at the time either. Mm. Yeah, I didn't really have a good um, touchstone for, like, as as uh, as folks say now, possibility models, yeah. right? I didn't have a good touchstone for that. Okay. Uh, so... In terms of at school, did you have a lot of friends and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I had friends. I had friends from like from from church, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't inco- encouraged to have friends at school, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I would have really, really, really intense friendships. <laughs> what was Which, intense about them? Well, I basically had crushes on these uh. people. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So I had crushes on these people, and you know, on these like. I was a little girl, and I had crushes on these little girls, and so it was pretty gay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but we but we had like really really good friendships, and I, yeah, I felt really nice about it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and who was someone that's like or is really important in your life? Who would you say? I'd say my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, I. Um, he's like. He's a weird dude, <laughs> and he's very, very, very flawed, but, um, like, I think of him as somebody who taught me, like, patience and objectivity and somebody, like, who saw me, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's it's kind of a thing, like, as a kid, like, you just want to be seen, like, so badly, um, you know, and, and he saw me and he knew what I liked, and, you know, we hung out a lot, and we were buds, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, when did you start uh, playing music? When did I start playing music? Um, I guess I started playing music when my mom went to Venezuela and brought back a cuatro when I was like six. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, I just kind of had it and I played around with it and what stuff. What is that? I don't know what it is. Oh, what's a cuatro? Yeah. It's a four-string guitar. Oh. So it's yeah. like a little, it's kind of like a big ukulele. Okay. So if you ever listen to salsa music or anything like that, the guitar is going to be on, often on a cuatro. Okay. A lot of times, you know, with modern music, it's going to be on a six-string guitar. Yeah. Um, also, my sister, my eldest sister, got a big um, electric piano uh, when I was maybe about, I want to say, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And I, like, put up such a fit that I wanted an electric piano as well. <laughs> so my, my parents got me a Casio SK-5, which is like a... <laughs> It's kind of a classic now, yeah. and it's it's little, and um, I, you know, at that age, I want to say some somewhere between six and eight, um, learned by ear like how to play all the demo songs. Cool. Yeah, I mean that's all I know how to play on piano now, but um, I I always like enjoyed like just messing around on the cuatro, 
and then um, when I was, uh, well, I guess as I got older, I, I got more serious about messing around on cuatro. But I was, you know, I would I would like down tune and make it sound like a bass, and then <laughs> play along to the radio. But uh -huh. I had no idea what like the correct tuning was. And uh, when I was like 16 or so, this kid um, was like starting a band, which never came to fruition, but that's another story. And he, he was like, I need a bass player. And I was like, I play bass. And I'd never touched a bass before. <laughs> and um, so I, I went to the music store that, like that weekend. And I had all this allowance saved up because I didn't do anything. Yeah. I would just get allowance, I would just get money every week. So um, I had all this allowance saved up, and I went to the music store, and I was like, give me the cheapest bass you got. <laughs> and that's the stupidest thing to say. <laughs> and so I, they gave me this really shitty bass, but it worked. You yeah. Know? And as soon as I, like, like it seems <laughs> like, a, like it, it almost feels, seems like a lie to say this, but it, it's true. It's, like, 100% true. Like, as soon as I, like, um, had my hands on a bass in the correct tuning, I was like, oh, this is how it works. And I, I, like, figured out how to play bass, like, in a day. But I had essentially been doing all the work, you know, before that. I just didn't, like, I didn't, it's almost like, like, dancing. Like, if you know the right steps, you can do the dance. But if you have the movement in your body, you're ready to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's how I, that's how I learned how to play bass and how I, how I was playing music. Um, and, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What, um, did you listen to a lot of music? Oh, yeah. The, what, what were your bands? Who were your, who were um, your people? Who were my people? I mean, I really liked, um, punk rock at the time. Um, and at the time, uh, everybody who I, I didn't know any punks. I knew kids who were hard, hardcore kids. Mm -hmm. And hardcore and punk is like, it's the same thing, really. Okay. It's like, there's like a, a splash more metal in hardcore. Mm. Um, but, like, I liked bands from the Epitaph label at, at the time. So, like, Rancid, who I still like. I'm in a Rancid cover band now. And um, No Effects and Pennywise and all the, like, 90s um, punk bands. And then um, there were also, like, hardcore bands. Like, um, I guess the hard... And, and it's always, like, New York hardcore, right? Mm -hmm. Which is great, because we're talking about New York, right? Yeah. So, like, the New York hardcore bands at the time that I really liked... Um, where Shelter, I think Shelter is New York, Warzone, definitely, um, and like, um, I guess they're not New York technically, but um, Seven Seconds, mm -hmm. and like, um, it was, one of the things that I liked most about Hardcore was like, it was very, very, very bass heavy, and like, you know, the bass players were like, front and center, so I, I, it was easy for me to like that stuff. Cool. Yeah. What else did you do when you were a teenager, or was it mostly music? And it was it was mostly music. Um, I draw. I was really into drawing, mm -hmm. and I used drawing as an outlet for like things that I wanted to do. Um, when I moved out, which is funny, when I moved out of my parents' house, like I didn't have that um, those like really intense aspirations to do things, and I just did them. So I kind of stopped drawing ever since. Like, I draw from time to time, but I don't, I don't draw out of, like, need. Mm -hmm. But, like, when I was a kid, I would draw, like... And I only drew dudes. <laughs> so, that's the thing. But um, I would draw out of, like, you know, something as simple as, like, I wish I could wear those pants, but my parents won't let me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to draw the pants that I want to wear. Um, or, like, you know, I wish I could go on a date or whatever. Um... And, um, and yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the things that I did. But, um, as soon as I was, uh, able to, like, kind of hang out on my own, like, I would go, I would just walk, um, like, go to the West 4th Street Station and just walk east mm -hmm. and, like, walk that whole strip, uh, from, like, 8th Street to, like, St. Mark's Place. Uh -huh. Um. How was it back then? It was, I mean, my memory of it was I, I liked it a lot. There were a lot of head shops. There were a lot of, like, T-shirts and patches to buy. Um, 
now it's kind of like no big deal. It's like any other street. Yeah. Um, but there were there were a lot of there were a lot of head shops and crystals and you could buy knives there back then. And I've always been obsessed with knives for some reason. Um, and uh, just like other young folks who like you meet and it's as simple as oh I like your patch and then you start talking and then maybe you end up in a band together for a while but um, it it was yeah I remember it being like like really wanting to go there because it was like um, it was like all of the things that I wanted to be like oh right and piercing was like a big thing like tattoos and piercings especially at my age at the time but also like because of the times like because of the 90s um it was like a really big deal to have a piercing or a tattoo mm-hmm. so like a lot of my friends like i would go, yeah i would go down that street and we would go to like ends which is now i don't know maybe in the east village still ends kind of came down with that like explosion thing that happened oh. in the east village but it used to be on on West Fourth Street. I mean, I'm sorry, West Eighth Street. Um, and it was like a kind of like an al- like an alternative clothing store in a way. Mm-hmm. But then with um, piercing in the back. Ah, cool. Um, so I would go there because they wouldn't really card, gotcha. and and I would go with my friends and like watch them get pierced and stuff like that. What was the first piercing or tattoo that you got? What was it the first tattoo that I? got was um this star well you can't see y'all can't see it but it's a star a little star on the inside of my wrist Mm -hmm. um and i don't identify as this now um but i heard this like uh this thing about like the lesbian star um (laughs) yeah i was like gay gay way gay (laughs) that like in the 50s like if you were masculine presenting uh, quote unquote lesbian, which yeah. is like that translates yeah. to trans now in my mind. Probably, yeah. Um, but there wasn't language for that then. Mm-hmm. But if you were like a masculine presenting lesbian, like folks in the factory or like folks working wherever, like whatever mask jobs they were working, mm-hmm. um, would look out for each other. Um, and so that was a part of why I got that, but that was the first like big thing that I got. And I got it on Halloween. Uh, I want to say the year 2000. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. Okay, so you're almost 20, or you were 20. I was just, just barely 20, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so you said you also, you mentioned you moved out of your family's house. How, how old were you, and what happened there? <laughs> it was dramatic. <laughs> I was... Yes, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I was 19, mm-hmm. um, and I had been with my first girlfriend for a couple of months, um, and my mom freaked out because I got sick and I just stayed there for days and days and days. At your girlfriend's house? At my girlfriend's house. Oh. Um, and she was like, you know, why didn't you come home, blah, 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 you're always staying over her house. Are you and her lesbians? <laughs> so this is preceded a couple of years before by a rumor which was true that I had been walking around the school holding somebody's hand, holding a, a, another girl's hand. Uh-huh. My cousins told my mom, and Rude. I was like, "Exactly, tattletales, tattletales." <laughs> it's because we were we were like the good kids, but we were also like fucking and doing all this shit. So, you know, and the other cousins were like the bad kids, but they were doing the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So. You know, my mom asked me back then, when I was like 16 or so, if I was a lesbian. And I was like, no. And then I was like, shit, I should have told her. And I was like, you know what? The next time she asked me, I'm going to say yes. Uh-huh. So the next time came three years later. Yeah. When I, you know, all that stuff that I told you mm-hmm. told you about. And then, um, so I said yes. And she flipped, right? Because I'm her second queer child. Oh. My eldest sister is also gay. <laughs> So, so she's just like, you know. And they knew at the time. They knew at the time. Yeah, oh, that's funny. So my eldest sister came out when I was sixteen. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. So she was. So yeah. So um. So yeah. My mom just like freaked out, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get a haircut. Like, give me twenty bucks. I'll be back. And I just didn't go back. 
Um, so I just kind of like freaked out and ran straight to Bay Ridge, where my girlfriend was living at the time, and um, just like cried and cried and cried for like three months. And I had no idea what like real life was like. It was very sheltered. Mm -hmm. I was just like, this woman makes as much as my parents make combined. Like, I'll be fine. I don't have to do anything. Your girlfriend? My girlfriend, yeah. Oh, wow. What was she doing? She was, um, she, she was a temp, uh -huh. um, but she worked, uh, she did word processing for, um, for, like, different, like, either lawyers or, like, law firms or, um, or, like, uh, financial houses, like, cool. Citigroup and stuff like that. Sweet. So, yeah, so she just, she worked nights and they paid her a lot and she still makes a ton of money, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I was like, oh, I should be fine. And then she was kind of like, I'm not going to give you money. And I was like, why not? <laughs> so, you know, I ended up figuring out how to work. That's, that's how I, that's, I mean, that's how I learned. I mean, I was terrible. I would like cry because she had to go to work. And I would be alone. I know. It's like get a get a life. Like figure yourself out. <laughs> Poor baby. Yeah, I was I was I was pitiful. And you know, we kind of like did the job of like raising each other. because um, she was extra and I was extra and we were very, very young. And we've apologized to each other for various things <laughs> since in like the ten years or whatever since our relationship has ended. Yeah. Um, and we're still friendly. That's that's how I moved out though, and then you know. What was your first job? My first. What was my first job? My first job was, uh, I worked at Hagen Dazs on Eighty Sixth Street in Bay Ridge. Mm -hmm. um, I gained twenty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. See you. <laughs> I, it was amazing. I'm like, let's go get ice cream now. <laughs> yes, let's get ice cream all the time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. I I mean, it wasn't great, but I loved the, I loved the ice cream. <laughs> My bosses, that was great about it. That was great about it. My bosses were incredibly anal retentive, and they mm. didn't like it when they wanted me to scoop in the way that the video showed you to scoop in the begin, like when they hire you, okay. you know, the training VHS that's all skippy. <laughs> so they they wanted me to scoop uh, exactly like that, like exactly four, six, and eight eight ounce portions, because if I scooped a half ounce more, that would cost them an extra fifty cents. Yeah. So whatever yeah <laughs> so you know after that what did I do I I took lots of different jobs I, I worked for um, I worked for a porn uh, distributor for a while mm -hmm. and that was cool that was on it was uh, like everything was weird just because I didn't know how to set boundaries I guess so people would like like for instance like you know at haagen when I worked there like people would ask me personal questions and I wouldn't be like that's a personal question I'd just be like, uh, you know, I guess I'm going to answer this, but I don't feel comfortable about it. Yeah. And same with the porn distributor. People were like, oh my God, you bought gay porn? Why would a lesbian want gay porn? And I was like, why would anybody want porn? You know? Yeah. Or like, whatever. Um, so like, so yeah. I feel like that's also like around the time when I was exploring desire and stuff too. Which, I don't know, you asked me about something completely different. No, yeah, tell me about it. Well, <laughs> what does that mean? What does what? that mean? I mean, yeah. um, so when I worked at the porn distributor, um, it also coincided with me, I was probably about 22 at the time, and it coincided, coincided with me, um, like, uh, hanging out with, like, some of the TERFs, and for those folks who don't know what TERF means, it's like, trans-exclusionary radical feminist so um like and that and to explain that even further that means like uh largely women uh cis women non-trans women who believe that trans women are not women basically um so their version of feminists ver version of feminism like has to do with like what they believe cis women want and need mm -hmm. um and so, uh, yeah, so I hung out, I was, like, trying to figure out, like, how to be a dyke, and I was in a band with these women, yeah, I was in a, I was in a band with, uh, like, some women, and I really, like, I still had that, like, very, like, young, 
fresh-faced, like, wet-behind-the-ears thing of, like, maybe if I'm, like, really, like, friendly, like, these people will accept me and give me, like, all of the love that I need, um, you know. And so I was, like, really, like, hanging out with them and wanting to be like them and be cool like them and all that stuff. And, um, like, some people were kinky and some people, like, were exploring, like, masculinity. And that, to me, was, like, amazing. Because mm-hmm. um, I had always, like, sort of secretly explored masculinity and, like, inched my way over toward being more masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, like, tweezed my eyebrows like crazy and, you know, wore women's clothing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like... I was talking with one of the people there, like, one of the people who were in this, like, one friend group, and, um, you know, we were talking about, like, porn, and I was, like, surprised that they also, like, secretly watched gay porn, and I was just like, oh, you know, it's so external, and you know that they're not faking it when they have orgasms and all this stuff, um, so, like, you know, that was kind of, like, the excuse. Um, but also they, that person turned out to be a trans guy. (laughs) So it was, it was a weird time too, because it was like, um, like I was, I was in this, I was in this play, like I was, I was one of the musicians in this play that was about, um, about like being masculine presenting, but your allegiance should be to women. Mm. So it kind of like set my transition back like a couple years yeah. I had a lot to, a lot of thinking to do mm-hmm. um, but yeah I guess like my like my exploration of desire was like mostly like trying to figure out like it had to do with figuring out my gender and my relationship between my gender and the people who I desire mm-hmm. um, in that during that time as well um, I was you know I mentioned like dating women. Um, but also, like, it was partially out of, like, and I always feel weird saying this or whatever, but this is where I was at the time. It was partially out of, like, wanting to avoid dating men mm-hmm. because, like, I was, I was always, um, like, feminized by men. Mm-hmm. And, like, women and the gay women that I dated at the time were, like, really happy to masculinize me. And I was like, word, this is great. Yeah. Um. And I don't know, there's also like a thing, just to kind of like bring it to the present day, like there's a thing where I don't, I don't, I currently like don't really date women. Um, and and it, it feels very like heterosexual to me to date women. And one of the common threads is like, I'm, I just don't have a heterosexual sexuality. Um, so like, I recently like, had a, a lovely hookup with a woman who I'm like kind of have a crush on and I was surprised by it I was like how's this how's this gonna work like I'm, <laughs> I'm gay and I'm also attracted to you which wasn't confusing it was just like we gotta go easy because if we really push it this isn't gonna work yeah. um, but uh, kind of like interacting with her and also like in, interacting in bed but also interacting like in general like I'm very aware of like masculine being a dominant, like masculinity being a dominance thing. So like, there's like lots of things that I will and won't do like in and out of bed to kind of like subvert that feeling of like heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you were saying that at the time that at the beginning, early on, you were mostly dating women. Yeah. When did you start? dating men or other people of other genders? Pretty much when I started taking testosterone. Oh, okay. And when was that? Uh, that was August of 2005. Um, and four, four months later, like, I had my first hookup with this guy. And then, I mean, it's partially out of, like, it's kind of a trope, but it's a trope because it's true, right? <laughs> yeah. That, like, you get you get really horny, like, after you start taking tea. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I wanted to explore my gender in that way that I, like, when I started, like, as soon as I started getting, like, peach fuzz on my body, I was like, 
I I don't like if somebody can enjoy this body um, while it's like masculine or masculinizing, um, whatever that means, um, then like you know I don't know. It was also it was also partially like in the I keep forgetting that in the beginning I had a problem. I I kind of developed like a sex addiction, mm. and I I might have told you this. I don't know. Um, but like, it was all like a lot of this, like a lot of the stuff that I'm telling you. I guess I'm like noticing this common theme of like wanting to be accepted really badly, um, and so like a big part of my sex addiction was like wanting to be seen as a man by gay men, mm. um, and so like every time like I fucked a gay man or they fucked me or whatever, it was like okay, that's validation. And then, you know, they say something weird, <laughs> you know, you know, like, oh my God, it's been so long since I've had sex with a woman. And it's like, no! <laughs> yeah, you ruined it. You Damn ruined it, it 100%. So, you gotta sh- yeah, sh- <laughs> just, just, sh- just shut up. We can, I don't care what you think. Yeah, just keep it in there. Just, just keep it in your brain, yeah. So, um, you know, so that, that's, a, that's a roller coaster ride, and always chasing that is a roller coaster ride, and, and, and having that be, like, one of your sole sources of self-esteem, or, like, yardstick for what masculinity is, or for what, like, gayness is, or for all that stuff, like, you know, that's not healthy. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so that's, that's another... It's another thing. Yeah. I forget what your question was, though. Uh, I don't know. Okay, that's fine. Something about having sex with men. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when did I start having sex with yeah, men? Yeah, and, and people of other Yeah, 2005. And people of other genders as well. Yeah. Um, I also didn't have very many um, partners up until that point. Mm-hmm. Like, I could count them on my hands. Um, and after that, it just, like, there were lots more. <laughs> And I, and I think that's great, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that... Um, I also think that, like, having sex opens up friendship because mm. it opens up trust true. and vulnerability. And um, at a certain time, I didn't have any friends that I hadn't had sex with. Mm. And then, like, I think that's great, too. Um, if that works, like, if that works for you, listener, that's great. <laughs> if it doesn't, like, cool. Um, Do you? Do you? Yeah. I think that, I think that, like, the vulnerability and pleasure and trust that come from, like, having sex with friends can be great. So, I'm, I'm for, like, getting your life, getting your pleasure, all that stuff. Okay. Um, let's see, other questions. Well, what, uh, ooh, how would you, so can you tell me more about your relationships? My relationships, yeah. Yeah, like I know you were dating that person at, mm-hmm. at twenty or eight, nineteen. Yeah, and other relationships. Yeah, definitely. tell me about them. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm uh, not monogamous, right? Um, so all of this sex that I was talking about having um, was uh, within the context of like one primary relationship or another. Um, so that's one thing, right? And I don't, like, a lot of people describe that as poly. I don't really describe that as poly, like, polyamorous. Mm -hmm. Because I think that polyamory is, like, wanting to fall in love or build loving relationships with people. And the way that I'm wired, um, I can, I have a lot of energy for one main person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, and by a lot of energy, I mean, like, most of my relationships I've had, I'm I'm in my third, like, primary relationship um my other two were seven years each oh wow yeah so uh i was in a relationship with this woman named eva um for seven years from like 19 to 26 and then i was in a relationship with someone named jess from 26 to 30 something i forget and then now i'm in a relationship with alex um and we've been in a relationship for probably like three, four years or so. Um, and I'm hoping we can beat seven. Uh, so, 
Um, yeah, so my relationships have been, um, you know, really sweet. And I mentioned, like, the first one was uh, we were kind of figuring out what it means to be adults in relationships. Mm -hmm. I was 19, she was 22 uh, when we started dating. Um, with Jess, uh, I think we had the adult part figured out, but not the communication part. Mm. Um, so communication was a really, really big thing. Um, he was wonderful and very intuitive, but he also, you know, sometimes made a lot of assumptions. Mm. And I didn't have a way of, um, advocating for myself with those within those assumptions like I just didn't know how gotcha um and with Alex I mean he's 10 years younger than I am 10 years and a week younger <laughs> or very specific yeah very specific <laughs> 10 years and a week to the day but um he's also surprisingly adept with emotions like I think about where I was at his age and I had no clue, but I have to remember not to compare those things because mm. we're very, very different people. Mm. Um, so with him, um, you know, he will remind me that, like, we don't always have to want the same things. Mm. Or, like, you know, in other relationships where I've dated other... where I've, I'm not going to say dated anymore because that's... You know, in other relationships where I've fucked other people, mm. sometimes... I would come back and my, my partner would be mad. Mm. And it's like, I told you I was going to do this. We agreed on it. You said it was okay. I'm going to do it and now I do it and then you're mad. And it's not like they have every right to, of course they have every right to be mad. Yeah. But it feels strange. Like, we'll talk about your anger. It feels strange to focus on my actions mm -hmm. when it's like, you know, I kind of I played by the book. You're having feelings. Let's talk about your feelings. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do that then, but that's not what I'm getting at right now. Um, like Alex made a joke recently to me about um, about like you know something about about having sex with somebody, um, and I was like, oh, that's hot. And I was like, ha ha ha. I just had sex with somebody else, and then he didn't respond. And I was like, oh my god, are you okay? Is this okay? Should I like? And he's like, he's like. Oh, I was just like watching Star Trek. I'm sorry, like I didn't <laughs> respond just then. But he was like, he was like, it's okay. Like, listen, um, like I know that, like we don't really talk about it very much, um, just because it's not really built into our relationship to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, he's like, but I know that you go out, and I know that you have a lot of sex with a lot of people, and I think that's great, and I'm glad that you're getting your life. And I was like. Oh, that's probably like one of the more amazing things a partner has said to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's great. That's cute. Yeah. Cute. Yes, it's very cute. What other questions? Ah, it's on my belly. Okay, so. Hmm. What about your relationship to other trans and gender nonconforming people? Tell me more about this. Okay, I will tell you more about that. I love trans and gender nonconforming people. Yeah. Trans and gender nonconforming people are my favorite people. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you heard that all, but there was just a wonderful shock of thunder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel I'm most interested in pursuing friendship and partnership, etc. Like, like like, sharing myself with trans and gender non-conforming people. Um, right now, I'm in a band with... And it's a band that I've been in for, like, five years with my best friend, who is also trans, and our drummer, who is also trans. And I'm... So that's my, my one, like, band that I consider my main band. But I'm also in a band... And that's a band called Trashy. Mm -hmm. um, with Al Rosenberg and Jane Henson. And I'm also in a band called Choked Up with Christy Road, um, who is a wonderful um, artist and musician. Um, you should look her up, obviously. And, uh, like, you know, there's lots of um, 
like ideas of transness and gender gender nonconformingness within that band as well. Um, um, the only person I'm gonna out is myself, though. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like lot, like lots of people play with gender in different ways in that band as well, and and also embody different genders. Like even femme as a gender can be a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I we do so. Al Rosenberg, who is uh, in Trashy, um, does something called Brooklyn Transcore, which is, um, it culminates as a stage on Punk Island, Punk Island being New York's uh, largest um, DIY, like, punk uh, show, long story short, like, there's like 100 bands, 10 stages, all free, um, and it happens on one island or another. Um, in New York, mm -hmm. and then we have a stage. We've had a stage for the last four years called Brooklyn Transcore. But we also like have always aimed to have it as like a series of shows as well, and it's great because um, we can we can um, showcase um, like different trans and queer uh, performers, um, and also it fosters a community, which is great. And um, how did Brooklyn Transcore come about? Um, Were you part of the? I was part of the inception. I was part of the inception. Um, we, it's it was literally like we saw something that wasn't there, mm -hmm. or something that, like sort of, was almost there. Didn't quite have shape or something. Didn't quite have shape. Yeah, like we weren't the only people who had used the phrase Brooklyn Transcore. Um, but we wanted to make Brooklyn Transcore like a thing. Mm -hmm. And we literally wanted to do it to promote our band and other bands. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us like thought about um, recognition or um, community at the time, but like I think that it, it's kind of a thing now and it's great. Um, and we're you know, I don't wanna say that we're the only people who did it or we're the first or whatever, but I do want to say that we did a thing that people people enjoy and and some people benefit from. So I think that's great. Cool. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Do. Uh. What does community mean to you? I when I think of community, I think of support and um. Like. Yeah, and like seeing folks who you know. And um, I think of going to shows alone and just being able to say hi to lots of people that you already know. Mm -hmm. so that's my favorite. That's one of my favorite ways of, of experiencing community, like like feeling commonality and yeah. and care. Guess cool. um, uh, how would you describe your gender? I would describe my gender as masculine. Mm -hmm. um, I um, am. I feel like walking around in the street. Um, I embody man manhood. Mm -hmm. I suppose, even though saying it even feels weird. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, to 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 use a phrase like I live as a man, um, and then. I understand that that's a thing, um, and I feel like my gender encompasses manhood. Like I don't feel like manhood encompasses my gender, mm -hmm. although like in the Venn diagram they're like not that far, terribly far apart. Um, so uh, I think of I think of my gender as like yeah like like masculine definitely. Um, I'm not somebody who's afraid of talking when I was a little, about when I was a little girl. Um, I don't think I do it that much because for some people it's disruptive mm. and distracting. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not like afraid of it. And if I'm comfortable with somebody and they know my deal, like yeah, I'll talk about it. Um, and positively. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do, uh, I guess. Oh. Is there anything else that you I, want to add? I was just yeah. thinking about, like, 
in in that masculinity, there's like this longing for like certain femininity, mm-hmm. and even though things aren't like as binary as that, um, there are a lot of things that I wish I could do that I can't do. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like paint my nails. I can't paint my nails. Why can't you? I just don't feel comfortable. Oh, okay. I've really like I get really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you just paint one. No, still too much. Too much. Okay. Um, Clear. Clear is like iffy, which is like I'm like come on, like, but it's like it's like pa- it's like panicky. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Well, I mean that has nothing to do with gender expression or whatever. It's like, but I don't like buying underwear. <laughs> so I get the same panic. The the, it's, oh my god, it's dysphoria. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, so I get dysphoric. Hello, this is therapy now. I get, I get, it, I get the same kind of panic I feel buying undies that I do um, painting my nails. Huh. Yeah. 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 Boxers or briefs? No, I'm just kidding. Trunks, <laughs> trunks. Boxers today because it's uh, laundry day. Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs> also, I don't know if if y'all, well, y'all don't know this, but I'm. It's a very hot July day. <laughs> I biked over here, and immediately I biked to Lorenzo's house, and immediately I was like, "Would you mind if I, if I took off my pants?" So we're doing this. We're doing this interview, and I'm in my undies. Yeah, we're on the floor. We're on the floor. My bedroom. Yeah, and it's very comfortable. It's pretty chill. Yeah. Let's see, um, underpants. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Um. What about do, do things like um, have you ever do you ever feel like you've had to choose between expressing your gender identity and economic security or social ease or acceptance or anything? No, um, because my my gender identity always came first, mm-hmm. um, and I I feel like I'm somebody who has always like made the whatever it is that I am come first. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people, like, I guess the outcome of me coming from such a conformative, con, uh, conservative and conforming background um, meant that, like, I always wanted to, like, be as loud about whatever it is that I am as yeah. possible. That's okay. So, um, so, yeah, like, when I was, I guess in yes and no, right? Because that, like, showing up as, like, a young butch, right? To a job interview, and giving those signals um, means that you know you're you're probably you're often not going to get the job as like a secretary, yeah. right? Um, so I guess in that way, in ways that I didn't realize were affecting me, they had been affecting me, mm-hmm. um, and also like safety, you know, like you're not terribly safe if people are always coming up to you and asking you like what gender you are um but uh but in terms of like 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 have I lost a job over it have I lost housing like no and uh I'll I'll definitely be the first to admit that like other people have it like it's a a far more complex question for lots of other people yeah yeah um what about um, your experience with like healthcare and like mental health and stuff like that? What tell me? <laughs> I've I've been very lucky. Um, I I also I'm kind of easy to please, so there are a lot of there are a lot of times when like stuff that would bother other people don't, doesn't bother me. Um, I have had my like pretty much all of my transition stuff. Through Cal and Lord, Sweet. yeah, and I've I've been satisfied with their service. Um, lots of other people go to Cal and Lord and fucking hate it. So um, you know, and I've been I've been misgendered there, and I've just been like, hey, you guys, this nurse misgendered me, and they've been like, oh, oh, that's terrible. That's all I need personally. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, mental health stuff is like a continuing thing. I, you know, have been in therapy on and off for a long time, and I also happen to have friends who, like, some of whom are social workers, etc. So, like, 
I can confide in friend in my like smart, very caring, very intuitive friends. Um, you know, and yeah. So, so yeah, I'm also I'm like optimistic, and I've been very fortunate as well, and all that stuff. And did you start going to Calamore like in 2005 when you started getting mm-hmm. tea and supplies? I started. I cool. started going to Calamore so that I could transition. Okay, nice. So what are, are, is there anything that someone really needs to know if they're like, to understand Santos, you need to know X, Y, and Z? Um, they need to understand, uh, that I'm really aware of the class gap, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that, um, like it's one, it's probably one of the things that enrages me the most, mm-hmm. um. I was dog walker for a really long time, and I was like, the only thing that I had in my house was like a futon on the floor, and I would listen to my mentally ill like downstairs neighbor crying, um, and then I would wake up, go to a million dollar Park Avenue apartment, and walk their fucking dog, you know, and get treated like the help because I was right, um, and th- there's this, I think like. If we're talking about New York, we're talking about, like, intense divergence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about, like I was talking, uh, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, um, like people um, kind of not having anywhere, anything to do, anywhere to go, etc., and turning to drugs and being, like, really aware of that, mm-hmm. um, and also, like, not being a part of it. Um, and I feel like I'm somebody who's, like, dodged a lot of bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, yeah, I mean, that, you know, like, loving, like, really valuing, like, work and smarts and street smarts. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I'm, I'm definitely a New Yorker in that I, I love a good hustle. And... If somebody hustles me and and I you know fall for it and I realize it, I, maybe I'm mad, but I'm also like, damn, that was real smart. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and I'm a softy and I like care and I like giving care. So, and, um, have you always lived in New York? Yeah. Okay. Did you you ever live anywhere else for any nope. period of time? No. Okay. I mean, technically, I lived in in Venezuela for like a month when oh, I was a kid cool. but I don't know if that's living there or being on vacation <laughs> yeah that's kind of iffy when it's a month where in Venezuela were you um, there for that time I was mostly at my grandma's house in La Guaira which is like a little uh it's not a little town but it's it's a city that's right next to the capital oh, okay. uh Caracas which is the capital cool and she have, also should been back no I wanna I would love to go back I would love to go back but not now <laughs> <laughs> not now I will I, you know people can't eat yeah you know it's bad it's really bad um so it's a it's a beautiful country or at least I remember it being a beautiful country um like one of the things I think about about my family is like my grandma who was a nurse in like the 50s um and uh she she, uh, she, I got distracted because I thought of a totally different story, which I really want to tell, but okay. I'll tell you in a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my grandma, who was a nurse in the 50s, um, she worked really hard and saved up for a uh, beach house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's on a little island called Margarita, right? Mm-hmm. And then the house, they don't have, um, they don't have na- they don't have numbers, they have names. Mm-hmm. So, um. Her house is called Mi Esfuerzo, and um, that's that means my effort. Um, so I think that that's like that really like it really like fortifies my heart <laughs> to think about that, to think about like the the the, the deep respect that, that folks can have for for each other and for their own effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was that other story you wanted to tell us? The other story was. Um, about the first time I ever used my given name. Okay. Did I ever tell you the story? No. Okay. Um, so I was like 24, I want to say, 
and I'm thinking about like things that people should know about me or people should people maybe people would benefit from. So I was 24, and my first partner was a burlesque dancer. So we went to a lot of burlesque shows, and there was one um, one show where somebody was like unzipping their boot, and they were inviting different people from the audience, mm-hmm. or inviting one person from the audience to unzip it for them. Mm-hmm. And they were like, can we have a volunteer? And then I wanted to do it really badly, but I didn't. And then somebody else volunteered and did it. And then I went up, and she was like, no, 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 the moment's passed, sweetie. So I was like, all right, yeah, it's cool. And then afterward, I go out and I smoke a cigarette. And then I hear this woman um, who was like, you know, I just hear this like tiny little voice or whatever. And she was like, you should have done it. You would have been way cuter. And I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. And then <laughs> she's like, what's your name, sweetheart? And I was like, <sighs> <laughs> it's Santos. And she was like, Santos, huh? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, Santos, I should tell you about my Tio Carmelo. <laughs> and then she, she told me about her Tio Carmelo, right? Yeah. Her Tio Carmelo was not always her Tio Carmelo. Mm-hmm. He was her Tia Carmela. Uh-huh. Her, um, for folks who don't speak Spanish, that's uh, Uncle yeah. Carmelo, yeah. right? Who was once her Aunt Carmela. Mm-hmm. So she was saying that this is in Mexico, back in the day. I don't know when. I'm assuming maybe the 50s. Um, but uh, he had a wife, he had kids, and he had land, right? Things that a woman did not have. But she was like, you could not tell him that that was not his wife, those were not his kids, and that was not his land. Like, you know, and this is to somebody, A, like... What is this story? What are you telling me right now? I yeah. just, for the first time, use my real name. Yeah. Right? And second, um, this is coming on the heels of, okay, I'm trans, but I'm not, I'm like doing this outside of things that apply to my heritage. Mm-hmm. I'm not Mexican, but it's, you know, Pan-American thing. Yeah. Um, like the Latin experience, I really believe that. And so... I was just like, my mind was blown, and I thought that that was like the best, and I still think the best possible way to, to, for somebody to welcome you into your own name, um, you know, and I remember that also, like, that's another thing, like, that really fortifies my heart, so. That's cool. Yeah. Good story. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um... Are there any other, like, really memorable things that you're like, oh, man, this is a good time? <laughs> um, man, it's, it's like, it's like, I feel so, I feel, I feel, it feels a little shallow, but it's, it feels a little shallow to say. Um, but it's also, like, nice in a way. Um, like, I remember nice things that people say to me in bed. Um, no, I'm serious. I remember nice things that people say to me in bed, and I think it's, I think it, it's, it's, like, trumped up and, like, a little romantic, and you're on a different plane, right? But it's also, like, probably some of the loveliest things that people have ever said to me, um, and the loveliest moments, and I think that, like, people should value that and cherish that, and I think people should value and cherish pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um... And I also think that it's important to, to not, um, it's, it's super important to, like, see that for what it is, and also to, like, find your own value, Mm -hmm. and, like, really, really, like, figure out what your heart wants, (laughs) and that sounds corny to say, but it's true, um, and value that, and, and go, go for what you need. And know that that's going to change. Yeah. Um, let's see. I guess if you wanted to be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Um, if I only get to be remembered for one thing, I suppose it would be my bass playing. Okay. Um, 
I would I would love to be I would I would love I would love it if people like James Jameson who was the Motown bass player right you hear Motown and you hear his bass playing and you're like that's James Jameson I would love it if somebody could listen to something and be like that's Santos that'd be cool yeah yeah do you do you, what is your relationship with your bass um, <laughs> do you have a name what's <laughs> What's the story there? Um, I don't have a name. I, I get a new bass every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a particular sound that I look for. Um, and I guess if people are into bass, like I like humbuckers and I like a very trebly sound. And I play, um, I do like walking uh, bass lines, like scales, uh, and I try to play very fast. And I think that probably what you might have noticed is that I try to give all my ideas about something mm-hmm. um, when you talk to me, and I do the same on bass. So I want to kind of say all the things as quickly as possible in whatever format I have. Um, and so that's that's the way that I play. And uh, and and in terms of my relationship, like it's my number one stress relief. Mm-hmm. If I need, if I like. I'm angry and I need a nap and I can't nap. Like I'll go to Guitar Center and I'll play and I'll, it'll be like hitting the refresh button. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So any last any last words that you want to include in the uh, podcast kind of thing? <laughs> I mean, not not really. I mean, I think that um, I hope that if if there's anything that I want to say to like the general public, like please fucking respect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, even people who you don't think deserve respect, even people who, especially, especially people who you don't notice, people working the register, people who you walk by on the street, those are people that have their own individual lives and they deserve respect. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening.